Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Colts, Killers, and Cocktails. This is Vanessa speaking right now. And this is Jen. Thanks for joining us for another week and another cult. And another serial killer. And we just want to thank you guys again for tuning in to our second episode. And we wanted to give you a little bit of background about how Vanessa and I met. So years ago when we were in college, we worked at a fun little restaurant called TGI Fridays, and we were both servers there. I ended up bartending there. Vanessa actually went to another restaurant a couple years later, but we met over the love of cocktails and fun in the service industry, and we actually still bartend to this day. So we just thought this would be a fun way to put our likes of Colts, Killers, and (laughs) Cocktails And if you've ever been in the service industry, you can understand how much you bond with the people that you work with and how many drunken nights there are. And, you know, me and Jen just did that. So we are typical service industry. And before today's episode, I just want to give a content warning. This is for mature audiences only. So some of the content that you are going to be hearing today is not suitable for children. So please listen at your own discretion. And with that being said, are you ready to get into it? I am ready to hear about this cult. Let's do it. Okay. So a lot of people think that cults are very deadly. Well, this cult actually was. Have you ever heard of Angels Landing? I have never heard of them. Awesome. Okay. So Angels Landing was a commune out in rural Kansas, and it was near Wichita. And members from this cult came from all over the country. They were seen as very welcoming people and a big, happy family. A survivor, David Queering, actually met the cult through a barbecue, and he joined because he didn't like being alone. So once he met these people, they were so welcoming, he just fit right in, and he felt super loved. So that's the type of vibe that this commune is giving off. Okay, I can get down with that. Yeah. They gained attention from the authorities because this group had a ton of money, but a lot of the members didn't really work. So they couldn't explain where the money was coming from. So automatically, authorities are like, drugs. As soon as that happens, you know, they think drugs automatically. Um, So that's kind of how they were viewing them from the outside in. And these people drove nice cars, like Tahoes. They were cars that were over 40 grand. And they all had license plates that were personalized. And they were personalized with Angel 1, Angel 2, Angel 3, and so forth. So this wasn't the Charlie's Angels cult, right? Like, okay. All right. So they lived in these super expensive houses. And there was about four on the commune at the time. But these were like million-dollar houses. And they had a very extravagant lifestyle. One of the cult members said that when she was a kid, she wanted a pony, like every girl does for her birthday. Right. And she got four. What? Yeah. It was just insane. With every single pony that you could ever want. Right. I'm like, hey, Lou. (laughs) So here's where it gets weird. Lou believed that he was a thousand-year-old angel. Oh. And not only was he just an angel, but he was multiple angels. And each one had their own personality. So Arthur was the first personality. And Arthur was very mean. He was aggressive, scary, and he almost seemed demonic at times. And then you had Daniel, who was the very kind personality. And the last one was Amber, who just so happened to be the angel of death. Okay, so he's kind of saying he has multiple personality disorder, but... 
he doesn't because they're just angels that are inhabiting his body. Gotcha. And sometimes the angels would threaten you if you didn't agree with him. And they would say that they were going to take you to purgatory. Oh, that's rude. Yeah. And after these fits or episodes would happen, Lou would apparently come back and he would apologize profusely and say that when the angels came out, he didn't have any control. Oh, my God. So it's not his fault. It's the angel's fault. It wasn't me. It, it was, was the angel. It was the bad angel. I'm sorry. I can't control him. Arthur just decided to come out today. Uh. My bad. And he also had the belief and made everyone else believe that he had to have sex with kids or he would die. Oh, my God. Why did you have to go there? <laughs> I wish I didn't, but this guy is just... Oh, he's awful. He is not an angel. He's a devil. Yeah. So he believed that he had all these special powers. He could make it rain. He could heal people, see the future. And he also knew when people were going to die and had the ability to bring them back to life. Because he was going to stab them, right? I'm not saying anything. So mm -hmm. Trish was one of his followers. She was seen as the mom of the group. And she was also second in command if they had a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And she was actually the one that bought the first 10 acres to start this whole thing. She knew Castro from their teenage years. She told everyone and verified that a while back he got super sick. And then he came back to life because he has these powers. Gotcha. Castro talked about death a lot. He would tell people that getting to the quote unquote other side is the ultimate goal because over on the other side, no one can hurt you. Duh. Mm -hmm. uh, you feel protected and you're at ease. He would tell people in this commune that someday they would get the chance to go to the other side. Well, no was, shit. Everybody gets the chance to go to the other side. Everybody dies. Right. He was super demanding, obviously, or the angels would come out if, you know, you made him mad. And he would yell at members. He would have these family meetings and he would give orders to people and then yell at people about what was wrong with him. Uh, so it sounds like a very loving, loving commune. Just so jealous of them. <laughs> I'm jealous of the cars, but not so much the day to day. Oh, yeah, for sure. Sarah McGath, she was a survivor and she was actually introduced to the cult by her mom. Her mom was Jennifer Hudson, and she was a real estate agent. And Castro was one of her clients because he had all this money. So he would go look at houses, and that's how she met him. So Jennifer Hudson believed in angels. And she would actually talk to her kids about it all the time. And it was something that didn't surprise them when she met somebody that, quote-unquote, said they were an angel, that she was very interested in him. So they became really good friends. The mom ended up divorcing their father to be closer to Lou. And then she took the girls and moved out to Angel's Landing to this commune. You know, I feel like I'm in an episode of Lucifer right now. I love that I show. I love Lucifer. And I feel like we're just in an episode. He's just an angel trying to live his human life, you know? Yeah. I was watching a documentary called Deadly Colts and Sarah's interviewed multiple times throughout this documentary. And she described Lou as always trying to be the cool guy with the younger girls that were in the commune. So now we're going to fast forward to 2003. On June 26, 2003, Trish, who is the second in command, and then Sarah, Emily, who's Sarah's little sister, and Lou are all hanging out at the pool at one of their like awesome houses. Sarah goes to the car dealership because they want to buy a new car, and Lou tells her he's going to meet her there. While they're both there, they get a phone call at the dealership from Emily 
saying that Trish slipped and fell in the pool and drowned. <gasps> she was running into the pool, slipped, hit her head, and then drowned in the pool. And Emily's 11 years old at the time, so she can't save her. I need to see security footage from this. I mean, the authorities agreed. They ruled it as an accidental death. Oh, okay. They had the witness. Um, everything checked out. But, of course, there's always one person. And this one person was Sedgwick County Sheriff Officer. Um, he was actually a detective. His name was Ryan Goodwin. And he started looking into this cult. He thought Good for you. Ryan. Ryan is amazing. He thought it was really weird that they had all this money, but he's still thinking drugs. In his head, he's like, they have to be. So after Trish died, her husband, Brian, who was a mechanic, was very, very depressed, which obviously I would be too. Right. Members of the commune said that he would be sleeping with their wedding picture. Oh. Yeah. And after this happened, Lou started talking to Brian way more than he did before all of this, which makes sense. I mean... If I'm depressed, I would hope that my leader or my guide or whatever would be taking an interest in me. Right. So we're going to fast forward a couple of years later. Brian is working on a car, as mechanics do, and he didn't secure it properly. And the car falls on him and he dies. Oh, no. Oh, that'd be a bad way to go. The thing is, though, Brian's an experienced mechanic, so he should know better. All mechanics, as soon as they jack up cars, they put these blocks underneath it to secure the car mm -hmm. because they know that there's always something that could happen and this could fall on him. Right. So it was a weird death, but again, ruled accidental. Um, authorities start looking at the cult, though, and they start looking into the members' bank. Oh. Yeah. Seriously, <laughs> oh, it's juicy. Yeah. So they start seeing a trend, and it seems like about every 2.5 years, Balances get low in the bank accounts, almost to like only $1,000 in the bank account. Is that low? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I was like, have they met people? And then someone would die. Oh. And it just oh. so happened that all these members had these outrageous life insurance policies, and they would always be paid out to people in this commune. Oh, my God. So when Trish died, her husband, Brian, got $1.24 million. What? $1.24 million. Yeah. I have a life insurance policy, but it's through my work. I don't even pay for it. And it's not even anywhere close to that. And I wouldn't have even bought it unless work just gave it to me for free. Right. That's the same for me. Like, I don't pay for it. I don't even know how much mine's worth. So don't kill me. Nobody kill me. <laughs> oh, yeah. And mine's very, very low. <laughs> mine's Extremely like a dollar. Low. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, they come after you. You have to pay. When Brian died... All of the money that he got from Trish and the insurance policy that he had goes to the commune members. So they're starting to see a trend. And our good old buddy Ryan Goodwin mm -hmm. starts looking more into Lou. So Lou goes into a diner one time in 2006. And Brian, Ryan is around the corner. And Ryan follows him into the diner. And waits for him to finish so he can get his DNA off of the dishes. Yes. Calls the manager. Oh, I know. I love it. I've always wanted to do that. But after seeing like true crime documentaries, but. We'll do it one day. We will. They, they won't even be needed for something. We're just going to steal some We're just going to steal somebody's random napkin and be like, right. I got their DNA. <laughs> so after he leaves, he calls the manager. The manager okays it. He goes to get it tested, and they can't find any DNA, any prints, or anything on any of the dishes that were on the table. All right. Which is weird, because I feel like even if you weren't trying to get your DNA on 
dishes, it would still be really hard. Yeah, you're kind of like splattering while you eat. You spit, I feel like, a little bit. You drool if you're hungry. Like Right. So okay. it just it just seems weird. All right. So Goodwin is quoted saying, Perez is either very unlucky with close friends dying or he's involved in some way making it happen. So now we're going to flash forward to 2008. Uh, Lou takes Sarah and Emily, the two girls, and he tells them it was their mom's time to die. (gasps) Wow, that's just a bad, bad dad of the year. So on September 22nd, 2008, Jennifer is killed while she's driving to work. She drives into a truck. She drives into the truck. She drives into a truck. And witness reports from there said that she would have seen the truck. It wasn't something that was out of the ordinary. She just drove into it. And a lot of people are starting to think it's because Jennifer was very obsessed with angels. She believed in Lou and she would have done anything for him. Oh my gosh. Taking your own life. I mean, it's never been proven, but that's what they think. Ryan goes to his lab techs and he asks them, what is the best way to get prints? How can I get prints on Lou? And they tell him the best ways to get prints is on glossy photos, which I never even thought of. You know, if you put your finger on a glossy photo, it's really easy to leave a print there. Yeah. They couldn't get his fingerprint from like his silverware or anything like that? Nope. Restaurant? So then they're trying to go with photos now. So Ryan and one of his coworkers, they drive out to Lou And they tell him, hey, we've had a couple of suspicious people in the area. So we would like you just to look at these photos and let us know if you've recognized any of them. Because we're trying to see where they are. Lou dumps the photos onto the table and he uses his fingernails to go through him. So he knows that the police are onto him. What? Okay, he's kind of smart, though. This guy is ridiculously smart. Wow. So obviously Lou gets tipped off. The authorities still can't do anything. He moves to Tennessee with Emily and some of the others, and Sarah decides to stay. And now we're in 2010. Okay. Sarah starts living her life, and she's dating this guy named Dan, who actually ends up later being her husband, which I think is super adorable. So cute. She still is in contact with Lou a little bit. I mean, obviously, her, her sister Emily has moved out there to Tennessee with him, so... She still talks to him from time to time. Mm -hmm. One of these times, she's on the phone, and he is yelling at her profusely about something. And Dan gets very mad. They've already been dating for a couple of months, and he tells her, like, you don't need to be treated like this. I don't understand why you act this way around this guy. And she ends up breaking down and tells him everything. She tells him that from 17 years old to 24 years old, he was raping her because he said he had to fix her. And there was something wrong with her. She tells him everything about living in the cult. And Dan gets very, very angry. He actually emails the FBI. <gasps> Good for you, Dan. Can Just real quick, can you imagine like having somebody come over that you really like and you started dating and then that's the baggage that they give you? Right. Like that's huge baggage. Yeah. Anyway, but. So he emails the FBI and tips him off about what's going on. And he tells him about a certain phone call he remembers Lou making about stealing the identity of a guy named Joe Vingus and tells it to the FBI. Doesn't know if anything's going to come of it, but decides to tip them off. So the FBI used that tip and they catch Lou using this other fake identity at a bank. So now he's committed bank fraud and it's on tape. Yes. So now we're in April of 2010 and it's the 21st and we're getting close to that two year mark where 
the money's starting to go down and there hasn't been a death. Oh no. So police are starting to feel the pressure. They serve a search warrant on Lou. And while they're doing the search warrant, he gets fingerprinted out of jail and they find out that his real identity is actually Daniel Perez. Daniel Perez gets indicted for social security fraud and for aggravated identity theft. And he gets two years. So now authorities know they have two years in order to get to the bottom of everything that's going on. And so they start interviewing members. They interview Sarah. She tells them everything that's happened, tells them about the rape, about all of the things that have been weird at the commune. Good for you, Sarah. And Emily actually comes forward as well. Oh, good for you, Emily. Emily also states that she was raped. Also, she tells them about the time when Trish died. What happened when Trish died? When Trish died, before it happened, Lou told her that he was planning on killing her. And he used her for his alibi. He told Emily to wait in the pool house. And while she was in the pool house, she heard a splash and then she heard Trish screaming. Oh, no. Then Lou came into the pool house dripping wet and he tells her to call 911, but to wait 20 or 30 minutes. And then he left and went to the dealership okay so now they can pin him to this murder so this is huge it's a huge breakthrough in the case it's very very sad he made this 11 year old do this but this is huge for the case i'm so glad that she actually said something right It, it was very brave but she came forward and more people start coming forward and other girls that have the same similar story mm-hmm. so now we're going to flash forward to 2015 2015 lou or daniel perez however you want to describe him is uh, convicted of first degree murder for Trish. Thank God. And he's also convicted on 27 counts of rape, sodomy and sexual exploitation of a child. Good. So he actually did get what was coming during his testimony. He was on the witness stand for more than 40 hours, which is huge. I don't know why these guys always want to talk about everything that's happened, but he definitely went for it. I feel like that's more of like, if you want to talk a lot, you're guilty. Like Ted Bundy, like wanted to talk for himself and right. he was his own lawyer. So the more you talk, the more guilty you are. It's ridiculous. So during his testimony, he stated that he suffered memory loss. Okay. In 1997, by a group of uniformed men before he was scheduled for sentencing in a Texas child sex crimes case. I do not believe that one bit. But when, when he woke up, he recognized a woman. And it was the only one that he recognized, and she was calling him Lou Castro, so he just decided to go with that name. Yeah, might as well. I mean, if somebody calls you the wrong name, just go with it, right? Yeah, and he doesn't know where he got this cash. He just got it from a red duffel that was given to him by Trish. (laughs) Come on, guy. He thought that through the memory loss and everything, that the money in the cars just came from like a sale, maybe, of like a prior home or just something in his past life. He also stated that he was unable to rape the girls. He had scar tissue from a penile injury in the 1990s, and it left him only being able to have sex with partners that could cooperate. Okay, well, that's a bunch of horse shit. So allegedly, he can't do it without the help. Okay. He also said that he wasn't a fortune teller. He may have used the term seer, but it wasn't about the future. 
And when he described himself as special, it wasn't as like special powers. It was more like special education. Man, Lion is not his strong suit, is it? No, 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 no. It is not. When he was asked if he told a follower that they would be reincarnated, he said, no, we just all watched a lot of movies. (laughs) Oh, okay. His defense attorney said the followers were pushing the blame on him after all of the fraud and everything that was going on. He also said that the women that he had sex with were of age and they consented. And he only shared a bedroom with an 11 year old at Angel's Landing. Like nothing actually happened until she was older and of age, of course. Of course, because you have to watch somebody grow up before you have sex with them. Yeah. And he said he didn't control the finances. It was all the women in his life that controlled the finances that were members of the commune. They bought the real estate and initiated buying the life insurance policies. So he wasn't tied to any of this. And he only bought the cars because he knew how to find the best deal. Oh, yeah. A $100,000 car. That's a great deal. So as you can see, the testimony wasn't very convincing. Why not? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Perez abused kids from 2001 to 2005. There was a nine-year investigation in order to catch him. And there was millions of dollars that he received in life insurance payments. Now he's 60 years old and he's doing life in prison at Lansing Correctional Facility. And in 2018 was the last thing that was written about him. And he was written up for class three offense, which was unsanitary practices, which I have no idea what that entails, but it doesn't seem like he's having the best time in prison. No. Wow. That was a good story. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. I've never heard about it. That was so recent too. It was. And I was in high school when he was caught and I do not remember it at all. Yeah. I was about to graduate high school at that time. And I was actually watching the news, but yeah, I'd never heard of it. So I thought it was super interesting. That was so good. Gosh. You know, you think of Colts and you think of them being like so old and stuff, but they're right in your backyard. And you don't even know it. Committing fraud and who knows else what. Oh my God. Yep. And Vanessa, do you want to tell us what cocktail we're drinking this week? Yeah, so I actually picked this cocktail this week, and I'm calling it a strawberry cereal mojito, which it's really just a strawberry mojito. I'm just trying to bring the killer vibe into it. But basically what you're going to do is you're going to get a shaker, and you're going to get some mint, and you're going to get a couple of slices of lime and cut up some strawberries. Then you're going to get some simple syrup. Um, maybe about a teaspoon, if that, if you really want to measure it. And you're going to muddle all that stuff together at the bottom of the shaker. You're then going to put some ice in the shaker, and then you're going to pour about two ounces of white rum. I use Bacardi. You're going to shake it and keep shaking it, and then pour it in a glass, top it off with some tonic water, and you are good to go. And this is also on our Instagram if you want to see the picture of what was made and all of the ingredients. The handle is Colts, Killers, and Cocktails. Your brain and my brain are in sync. And you'll just know by the end of the story what I mean by that. Last week, Jen, for our first episode, you did a female cult leader. And I thought that was kind of cool because you don't hear a lot of female cult leaders. So I decided to do a female serial killer. Yes. <laughs> she was born on November 27, 1974, and she was born in Hakadu. And, you know, she was from a nice middle upper class life. Um, for example, she was a granddaughter to a local politician. 
And just in reference, Hakadu is the second largest island in Japan, and it's about an 18-hour drive from Tokyo, just so you kind of know. Holy like, crap. I know. I don't think you could actually drive that distance, but Google Maps said so. <laughs> she moved to Tokyo at 18 to attend Toyo University to study econ, and she dropped out after one year. Okay. And she did not pay her tuition which times have changed because if you don't pay tuition now, they will hound you. And they'll find you. Oh, yeah, they will. They'll garnish everything. So she's, you know, used to living somewhat of a lavish lifestyle off her parents' dime. And she's never had a job recorded. And if she did, it probably wasn't enough to live her lavish lifestyle. So she's thinking, you know what? I'm ready to make some money. So it's 2003 now. She's 29 years old. She decides to start an online auction scam on Yahoo. And that did not last very long because she got caught almost immediately. So she's like, okay, plan B. So she decides to explore the internet and gets into dating websites and blogging. Haven't we all? Right. She starts a blog called Kanai's Kitchen on a website called Cookpad. And it's one of those like typical like, you know, kitchen blogs or recipe blogs where she posts seven long pages for a three ingredient recipe. She also posted a lot about her personal life. On this blog, she would give her viewers an illusion that she was living a luxurious lifestyle. She would post her eating at fancy dinners at fancy restaurants, top name brand clothing, condos with price ranges way out of her $0 salary, and she drove a wine red Mercedes. So she's pretty much like an Instagram influencer. I'm getting that vibe from her. Yep. <laughs> yep. But basically, she was trying to impersonate that Kim Kardashian lifestyle. Okay. So right. think of her as the Japanese Kim Kardashian. So then she decides to sign up for dating sites. And in her bio, she would say, hey, come check out my blog. And she would post a link to it. And also on her profile, she would alter her pictures and basically Photoshop herself to make herself more attractive. Yeah, so she's catfishing too, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it actually was noted that she was not the best looker, which is really mean. But men were disappointed when they first saw her. Oh, no. I know. That's so sad. But anyways, men would check out her blog and be a little turned on by this. You know, she's a good-looking woman. She obviously has her stuff together. Her goal here was to be a rich wife. So she would go for the shy, geeky, socially awkward type. Taking a pause from Kanai, I want to give a little blip about an epidemic that was occurring in Asia at the time. Suicide. And it's really sad. Um, the number one cause of suicide was overdosing. Number two was hanging. Number three was jumping off a building. And number four was carbon monoxide poisoning. Now, for carbon monoxide poisoning, this really started in 2003 when one man and two women, who were all strangers, decided to make a pact to kill themselves by carbon monoxide poisoning. So obviously, this gets huge media coverage, and it initiates copycat suicides. And to just give like kind of a rate about how much this took off, there were 32 people that died from this in 1998, and it went up to over 1,300 people in 2003. Wow. So, I mean, everybody that wanted to commit suicide was doing this. And it was the fourth popular because it was slow and painless. Kind of like how these suicides happened. They would get a charcoal burner and it's kind of like a little stove. They would put briquettes in them 
And those are like little compressed um, bricks of coal. And they're used for lighting um, fires and they're used for fuel. So basically you'd be in this little room and these briquettes would be on fire and then you'd get carbon monoxide poisoning and you would die. Okay. Back to Kanai. Um, like I said, her scheme was to get a sugar daddy or husband. And before she actually like goes into this whole online scandal, she meets a guy named Sadhu Fukamya and he's 70 years old. 70. Sugar baby. Mm-hmm. So he was a recycling shop manager, and she told him that she was an orphaned piano student, and he believed her. Does she actually play the piano? Uh, probably not, and if she does, it's not very good. If anyone tells me that they have any type of skill set whatsoever, I make them prove it on the spot. Just break out a keyboard. I need you, you to play, play me something. For right least, now. Right now. And not chopsticks. <laughs> so... He believed her and he gave her the equivalent of $30,000. Seriously? Yep. So then she's like, hey, babe, thanks for the 30K. I need more. And he said no. Good. good. Good for him. Good for you. Except not really because he was found dead shortly after in August of 2007, naked in his home. Oh, no. Which I don't know why he was naked, but he was naked. Okay. So... Oddly, $673,000 was transferred to her account right before he died. That's not suspicious at all. Nope, not at all. And so he, either these men really, really love her or there's something going on. So they're geeky and they're shy and they're socially awkward. So these men have no experience in relationships. So they don't know what to expect. That's true. Yeah. So his death was thought to be a suicide. So she's loving this lifestyle. And she's keeping it up on her blog. She's showing all her boyfriends. She's showing all her luxurious items. And shortly after, she met an 80-year-old man named Kenzo Ando. Can I just say I'm surprised that all these older men are using dating websites? So that crossed my mind for a second, too, because, you know, my grandpa has passed away. But if he would try to use a website like this, he would have no idea what he's doing. My mom still calls me to order things for her off Amazon. Oh, goodness. Bless her heart. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> she told him that she was a nurse and she would take care of him. And there have been one source that said that take care of him, like, quote, unquote, like take a care sexual relationship. Right. But others said, no, there's nothing going on. So I don't know who to believe. But... Regardless, she became his caregiver. In January of 2009, Kenzo's house is on fire. He is found burned to death inside of his house. Wow. So firemen go in there, and oddly, several briquettes were found next to his dead body. An autopsy was performed, and wouldn't you know it, the actual cause of death was carbon monoxide poisoning. How much money was it this time? $18,295 was transferred to Kanai's account right before his death. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Makes me want to just, ugh. <laughs> you know, being bougie isn't easy. And, you know, some were brave enough to say no before they paid the ultimate price. So she starts dating this guy named Yoshiyuku Ode. And he is 41 years old. And, you know, they're kind of close in age, so they get engaged very quickly, and she kept demanding money from him like all the others. During this time, she was also suckering other men. Since he was kind of younger, 
Yoshiyuki was hip and he actually had his own blog and it's actually taken down now. I tried to go to the site and I got redirected in a Yahoo Japanese site. Interesting. So, yeah. So I don't even know why I tried to go to it because I wouldn't have understood it anyway, but. I would not be writing super excited things about that. I would be super nervous, but okay. Well, 10 hours after this was posted, he was found dead of carbon monoxide poisoning. He was in a parking lot in a car that he had just rented. A charcoal burner was found in his car. And guess who just so happened to get $60,000 transferred to her account right before he died? Now, police didn't know about the money yet, but they were just suspicious because one, the keys weren't in the ignition, and two, he was not your typical suicide candidate. He just posted about how excited he was to start his life with Kanai. So an autopsy ended up being performed, and not only did he die of carbon monoxide poisoning, there were sleeping pills found in his system. Oh no. So since they actually were engaged, police decided to, of course, look into his fiance. You know, they always go after the partner first. So they looked at her blog post and saw all the luxurious items that an unemployed person had. They also saw all of her exes that were dead. So they decided to arrest Kanai right away, but they arrested her for fraud. Okay, I was about to say, what are they going to arrest her for? Exactly. So they charged her for fraudulently posing as a bride. And this is known as a bride scam. I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm -hmm. So how I'm understanding it, it's like catfishing, but it's like extreme catfishing where you're getting money out of people and you're, you know, you're fraud. Right. So that's how I'm understanding it anyway. So as she was in jail for that, police raided her flat. They found multiple bottles of sleeping pills prescribed by over 10 different providers and a mortar and a pestle. Do you know what that is? It's like something to like make guacamole. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So grinding sleeping pills and lots of briquettes. I wonder if she bought them in bulk. But where would you even get briquettes from? Like Lowe's? Lowe's wouldn't have them. <laughs> Maybe it'd be like the Sam's Club equivalent in Japan. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But get this. She was already living with another boyfriend. <laughs> and he was shocked. So this is a quote from her new boyfriend. In the morning, she made pancakes. In the afternoon, pasta. In the evening, fried chicken. The food was delicious and the house was always clean. She made me tea and I didn't even have to ask for it. I thought that she would make a great wife. That's everything I look for in a partner. Pancakes, <laughs> pasta, tea, and fried chicken. I mean, I do love me some pancakes, but honestly, no wonder why I'm not married yet because I don't do any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> After the raid, she was also charged with murder. Police were able to link her to Yoshiyuku, Tako, and Kenzo. But unfortunately, there was not enough evidence to charge for the death of Sado because no autopsy was ever performed on him. That makes sense. So I feel really bad for his family, though. But honestly, this is an unusual murder charge because all the evidence is circumstantial. Right. They have no forensic evidence besides you know, finding the drugs and the briquettes in her place. So she ends up being charged for eight counts of fraud for like all the guys that were on her blog and three counts of murder. She pled guilty to two fraudulent charges and then denied the rest of them. So she was like, yeah, I did those, but no, I didn't kill anyone. Wow. Yeah. Then the police went into Yoshiyuku's bank account transfers for further evidence, just seeing like all this money being transferred to her. 
So in court, there were two opposing narratives. Prosecutors said that she killed the men so she wouldn't have to pay them back. Her lawyer said that they had either committed suicide because she broke up with them or they were all by accident, which gives me the biggest eye roll on this plan. Yeah, that's a huge coincidence that all of these men, that's ridiculous. Right. And you were supposed to go on a trip with your fiance the next day and you broke up with him. Mm. I wonder if her parents knew that he was coming, like, or the plan was for him to come. Or if, yeah, like if she if it was told even him a about thing. him. Right. Mm. Sketchy, sketchy. So I looked at the trial pictures and she just looked pissed off the whole time. She looked mad. Um, the prosecutors wanted the death penalty, which is reasonable. And the judge quoted, the defendant received huge amounts of money from victims in order to maintain luxurious lifestyle without working and kill them to avoid repaying money. She shows no remorse. At the age of 34 years old, Kanai was sentenced to death by noose. Interesting. So in Japan, that's how they actually carry out their death penalty. Most of them? I couldn't find any evidence about lethal injection. Wow. Which is really curious, but yeah, by hanging them. Obviously, Kanai's lawyers appealed the same day, and it was denied. And she was still sentenced to death. And the lawyers kept fighting and fighting over the years. And they're saying, hey, there's no solid evidence of this. And the judge basically told him to stop. Um, Quote, what she did was unforgivable. So she's linked to other murders too. Like a guy who was ran over by a train. And a guy that supposedly died in a fishing accident. And a guy that was found face down in a river. They were all on her blog. And then they died by accident. The estimated total that she scammed from everybody was two and a half million. Oh my goodness. And this is over a short period of time. Like this isn't, you know, decades and decades. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. She is the 15th woman in Japan to be condemned to death post-war period. And of course, in typical Kanai fashion, she married on death row. No, she didn't. Mm -hmm. And her last name is now D-O-I. I think it's Doi. But I just, I don't understand the whole death row. I don't either. Marriage. And how are we still single? <laughs> and then people that are on death row are getting married and dating. I just, I don't get it. Clearly they have more going for them than we do. Maybe they have a fantastic personality. We only have a podcast. They have a, <laughs> that has two episodes. They have a death sentence. We have a podcast. No wonder why people go for them. Right. So as of 2021, she is still on death row in Japan, waiting for her hanging. And that is the story of Kanai Doi. That is a good one. And you're right. We are on the same track and we didn't even talk about what we were doing today. We had no idea what the other person was doing. And our stories were so similar. I was trying to hold back the whole time you were telling yours. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So good, good times with Kanai. Great times. Well, thank you everyone again for listening and we'll post another episode next week. And that's it. That's it. Thank you so much for listening again. Please follow us on Instagram. Um, As a reminder, the handle is Colts, Killers, and Cocktails, all one word. And we are still trying to figure out how to get on different platforms. So please be patient with us as well. And if you want to send in some of the drinks that you like to drink or any of your favorite cults or serial killers, please just 
instant message us on, is that what they call it? Or DMing? Drop DM, instant message. DM, 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 DM. I'm not, I'm not cool with the kids. (laughs) Send us a message on Instagram and then you might hear yours next. And we'll give you a shout out. Thanks all. Bye. Hi everyone. Vanessa here. And I just wanted to tell you a little bit about my sources I use for Kanai. So Kanai is not a very popular serial killer, at least over here in the States. I personally have never heard of her before. And I found out about Kanai on the greatest website ever for murders. It's called Murderpedia. This is a great website for serial killers or just a one-time killer. So that's how I found out about her. I also went on Wikipedia, and that gave some great information about her past lovers. The Independent had a great article about her exes and just the case in general. And I also used the Straight Times and BBC News. So those were all of my sources. There were no documentaries that I found in English anyway. And you can buy a book about Kanai on Amazon for $106.44. But that's a little bit out of my budget, so I decided not to do that. So those are all my sources. If you guys are more interested on talking about the case, feel free to DM us on our Instagram, Cults, Killers, and Cocktails. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Bye. Hey, guys. Jen here. Just letting you know my sources for this episode. I watched a documentary on Amazon Prime called Deadly Cold, documentary on Angel's Landing. I looked at multiple articles from the Wichita Eagle. I got um, information from AL.com, Alabama, Daniel Perez sent to life in Wichita drowning. There was multiple articles on Oxygen.com, also on Newsbreak.com, Daniel Perez now, where's cult leader, Lou Castro in 2020. E! Online had multiple articles too about former followers recounts mother's death. And on www.cinemaholic.com, Lou Castro now, where is Daniel Perez today, is Lou Castro in jail. Thank you so much. Bye.